Hear the word of the Lord. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descent, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law, turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against them. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to, the pleas, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city 
and your people are called by your name. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for revealing yourself. We pray now as we consider Daniel 9 that you would convict us, encourage us, equip us to live the lives that you've called us to live. We pray that our, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds would be open to receive your word, but we wouldn't just receive it by hearing it, we would receive it by doing it. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. We're approaching the, the latter part of Daniel. Daniel 7 through 12, as we've said the last uh, few weeks as we've been in it, we've said is an apocalyptic section. If you notice, though, Daniel 9, 1 through 19 is not apocalyptic. There, there are no visions. There, there are no uh, dreams. There, there's, there's no talk of the future or the end. We don't have beasts with horns. Daniel, you know, you probably, like Daniel 7, he keeps talking about horns. It's like big horns and small horns and, and four horns and just all these different kinds of horns on all these different kinds of beasts. And you think he has an obsession about it for a minute, but then in Daniel 9, he kind of goes away from the horns. So Daniel's cool. He's fine. Um, but in Daniel 9, it is apocalyptic in the end. So Daniel, Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27, is the Lord's answer to Daniel's prayer. And, and it comes in the form of a vision. It comes by uh, uh, a messenger who is an angel, Gabriel. And it tells about the future. It tells about coming events. Um, so, so while Daniel 9, 1 through 19 is not apocalyptic, the latter part of Daniel 9 is apocalyptic. But Daniel 9 is quite simply just a prayer. Daniel 9, 1 through 19 especially. It is, it is just a prayer from Daniel. It's, it's one of the most beautiful passages in, in the book of Daniel. If you, if you notice in the first verse, we're, we're set in the context of Darius, um, who is the king of the Persians, is the same person as Cyrus the Great, um, who conquered the Babylonians. And so, whereas in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, we saw Daniel under the reign of King Belshazzar, who was the king of Babylon at the end of Babylon's reign, now we see the Persians have conquered Babylon and Darius is the king. It takes us back to Daniel 6 with Daniel and the lion's den. Darius was the king at that point. And so we're in that same time frame. And it's during this time that Daniel prays this prayer. And so since this is a chapter all about prayer, let's, let's think about that for just a minute. If you have something to write on or if you want to get your phone out, I do want to ask you questions, and I'd encourage you to, to write down an answer to it. The first question I want to, want to ask is, how often do you pray? It might be helpful for you to write it down. Don't worry, no one's going to look at your paper, no looking, no peeking, but, but how often do you pray? I mean, you could, you could say, oh, once a day, or, or if you think about a typical week, um, how many times do you think that you actually set aside time to pray? This can also be driving in the car when you're, you know, just how often do you think you pray? Okay, a second question. And this, this might be one you need a little more time to reflect on, so you might not have an answer to write down. But when you pray, why do you pray? Why? Like I've said, I love, I love asking myself why a lot. I, I love why questions. Uh, 
But when you pray, when you actually set aside time to pray or you're driving in the car and you just start praying, why do you pray? Is, is there a, a typical answer to that that's the same kind of answer? Um, or are there, are there different answers that you can give to that? Third question, why don't you pray? So when you don't pray, why? If you, if you, if you were honest with yourself and you were thinking about it, why don't you pray? A fourth question, we have five of these, don't worry, I'm not going to just ask questions all day. The fourth question, when you pray, what do you pray for? When you pray, what do you pray for? Do you typically pray for the same kinds of things? It's not a bad thing, it's not bad, just asking. So how often do you pray? Why do you pray when you pray? Why don't you pray? And then when you pray, what do you pray for? The last question, and this is the one that penetrated my heart most. What does your prayer life say about your relationship with God? So if you, if you evaluate your prayer life, you take an inventory of, of your prayer life, and then you look at it, what story is it telling about your relationship with the God that you're praying to? What does it say? Because it always, it always communicates something. Our prayer life communicates the nature of our relationship with God. Daniel, as we've seen throughout, throughout this book, has proven himself to be a person who is very close to God. This prayer reflects that. This prayer reflects that. So um, as, as we look at Daniel 9, 1 through 19, what I want us to do is consider it in two, two major ways. So the first, I want us to consider what led Daniel to pray because it's, it's super interesting. It's super interesting that in this moment, Daniel's already had two visions about the future, wild visions about the future, and, and now he's sitting here and the Babylonians have been conquered, the Persians have come in. Daniel has the knowledge in his mind that the Persians, one day in the future, they're going to be conquered by the Greeks, and then, and then one day even down the road, his people are going to experience suffering and persecution once again. He learned that in what we saw in Daniel chapter 8 through a vision. And now we have Daniel serving in the courts of King Darius, who's the king of Persia, and he, and he prays a prayer on behalf of all of his people. What led him to do it? And then, then the second thing I want us to consider is what Daniel actually prayed for. And then a conclusion we're going to draw is by asking the question, why should we pray? Why should we pray? So what led Daniel to pray? What did Daniel pray? And then why should we pray? The first thing we see in Daniel chapter 9, after we're introduced to the context, is we're given a situation. We have Daniel, who's reporting here in verse 2, that he perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely, 70 years. So the desolations of Jerusalem is referring to the exile. Well, what we learned at the very beginning of Daniel is that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem 
And he took some of the people out of Jerusalem. He set up a, a king who would rule under his authority in Jerusalem and, and desecrated the city in a number of different ways. And so Daniel says, I was reading in the books. I came across the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. And I saw that the end of the desolations of Jerusalem would be 70 years. And then it says in verse 3, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer. So what led Daniel to pray? Two things. First, Daniel was reading God's word. Daniel read God's word. God's word led Daniel to pray. It's, it's almost as if Daniel 9, it's like we're given this snapshot into, into Daniel's like daily devotion time. It's like he, you know, we already saw from Daniel 6 how, how Daniel has this rhythm in his life of, of communing with the Lord. And, and we see that it's not just through prayer, it's through opening the scriptures and seeking the Lord in his word. And so we have Daniel in his quiet time maybe, he opens, he opens the scrolls, he opens the scriptures, and he, and he starts to read from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, um, but it was during the Babylonian exile that, that Jeremiah was prophesying. And so he reads this writing that, that, we, that he has from Jeremiah, and he discovers something. He discovers that the end of the, of the desolations would be 70 years. Daniel's prayer then, prayer on behalf of his people, is deeply rooted in God's word. Now, we're going to turn to it in like, 15 seconds. But before we turn to this, I, I hope that you're just as amazed as I am at the fact that what we're about to read is the exact same word that Daniel read. The exact same word. Daniel is flipping through the scriptures and he comes across a passage that I'm about to tell you to turn to. This, I mean, this is in the 6th century BC. In the 6th century BC, we have Daniel, a, a child of God, who reads the scriptures, and it, and it leads him to pray something very specific. I want to encourage you to turn to Jeremiah 25. Daniel tells us that he, that he opened the scriptures. You need to go backwards, by the way. So you're going to hit Ezekiel, go back that way, Lamentations, boom, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25. We're just going to look at two verses here. Daniel read God's word. It led him to pray. Here's what he read. Probably. Well, I guess we can't say with 100% you know, certainty what he read, but it's likely that Daniel read Jeremiah 25, verse 11 and verse 12. All right, here's what we, here's what we read. Jeremiah writes, This whole land, speaking of Jerusalem and Israel, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. This is, this is likely what Daniel read. And so then what Daniel did, not only is he reading God's word, but something else that led Daniel to pray, Daniel was confident in God's promises. Daniel was confident in God's promises. He simply just believed God's word. He believed the promises of God. Here's what Daniel realized when he read Jeremiah 25. He starts to consider his own life, and he says, 
I've been in Babylon in exile for about 66 years. A reckoning is coming. The, the fulfillment of this passage is near. He's been, in, he's been in exile for 66 years, and so then he reads from Jeremiah. He knows that the exile is soon coming to an end. And, and it's almost like with this simple, childlike confidence in God's promises, Daniel gets on his knees and prays. Daniel reads God's word, and he just believes it. He, he takes it at face value. He doesn't have to do an in-depth study. It says that the end of the desolations will be after 70 years. And he considers where he is in that timeline. And he says, the time is now. It's coming. It's soon. And so he gets on his knees and he prays. Something else that's interesting, what we see from, yeah, I'm not going to ask you to turn here, but in 1 Kings 8, 46 through 50, during the dedication of the temple. So King Solomon is the first one to build this glorious temple to the Lord. And during the dedication ceremony, uh, Solomon prays an interesting prayer that's applicable here. He prayed for God to hear from heaven if his captive people repented from the heart and prayed toward the promised land. So, so at the dedication of the temple itself, King Solomon is praying, God, please, if our people are taken into captivity, hear their voice if they cry out in repentance. That's 1 Kings 8, 46 through 50, if you want to check that out later. Daniel believed God's promises. He read, he read God's word and he believed God's promises. And a famous passage for you, stay in Jeremiah. Turn over to chapter 29, Jeremiah 29. I know you're really familiar with Jeremiah 29 because you uh, were sent so many uh, cards, especially you younger people, like when you graduated. Oh, when I graduated from high school, you have no idea how many like cards I received with Jeremiah 29 just plastered all, 29-11, you know, just plastered all over it, you know. The plans I have for you are for, you know, for you to prosper. You have a great future ahead of you thinking about college and all that stuff. And anyway, so I knew that verse. I knew that verse really, really well. Um, and, and, it's not that it doesn't apply in that way. But in Jeremiah 29, I don't know if you have like a little heading in your Bible, but some of the Bibles actually have a heading where it says Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. Jeremiah's letter, that's, that's really appropriate. Um, let's, let's read this full context here because I'm, I'm quite confident that Daniel also read Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Can you imagine Daniel reading that? It was a letter written for Daniel. Okay, then we see in verse 2, this was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shapham, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, and Zedekiah, you love these names, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Here's what it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Okay, Daniel reads this. Doesn't it make a little bit of sense why he was so faithful in Babylon? Why he was so faithful under these pagan kings? 
and he worked for the good of the pagan city, Babylon, the Lord told him to. The Lord told him to do that. He continues. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And then, here's the kicker. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what Daniel read as he's, as he's encountering the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. He's seeing that the, the end of the desolations, the end of the exile is 70 years. And then this, this further confidence and this promise from verse 10. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, says the Lord. Daniel reads this promise from God. And how does he respond? How does he respond? Verse 3 tells us, Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel turned his face to God. He sought after him and he prayed for God to be merciful to him and to his people. He begs for the Lord to do what he's promised to do. You see, Daniel is a man who, at the same time, is fully confident in the sovereign power of God to do as he pleases. And he's a man of prayer. We, we tend to have a problem with that. If we really believe that God is totally in control of all things, and he's going to do as he pleases, why should we pray? Does it, does it really matter? Does it really matter if we pray, if God's so sovereign? And then you have the, the, an error on the other side where it's like, God's really limited and he needs me to pray. And if I don't pray, then he, you know, he's not going to be able to do what he wants to do. He absolutely needs me. Um, it's, it's neither of those. Daniel is a man who is fully confident that God is sovereign. He's the one who brings up kings and puts down kings. He does as he pleases. However... Daniel reads of this promise from the Lord. He's fully confident that the Lord's going to bring it to pass. And he implores the Lord to show mercy. He runs to him in prayer. So Daniel prayed because he read God's word and then he believed God's promises. Now, let's get into the content of the prayer because the prayer is super interesting. The prayer has four basic parts to it, okay? The first is confession. The first thing we see in Daniel's prayer is that Daniel confesses the reality of the situation, he confesses how things are. He says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. You see this deep contrast between God's glory and his people's sin. He's stating the reality of the situation. He's confessing how things are. He says, God, you are great and you are awesome. He says, God, you are the one who keeps the covenant. You are the one who keeps promises. He says that God is faithful and he's unchanging in his love for his people. 
Later, he's going to go down and say that God is both righteous to judge and he's merciful to save. He's extolling the the great character of God. And in light of God's holiness and righteousness and glory and greatness and goodness to his people, Daniel confesses sin. You have been nothing but good. You are great. You are powerful. You are faithful. And we are not. We are not. He confesses, we have sinned. And and you can imagine the temptation for Daniel to want to separate himself from, from other Israelites or Judeans who had not been faithful as Daniel had been faithful. You know? Listen, God, there are some people, some of your people, they are just reckless. They are not faithful to you. They have sinned against you. Please don't judge me because of their sins. No, Daniel puts himself right in line with the rest of the people of Israel. We, corporately, we have sinned against you. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned aside from your law, and we have not listened to your word, especially the prophets. You sent us the prophets to warn us, and we laughed in their faces and rejected them. We did not heed their word. God's people rejected his righteousness and his mercy by sinning against him and not seeking his favor. Daniel tells us through this prayer. So, what do we see then? God's people are deserving of the judgment and shame of exile. That's what Daniel's confessing here. Daniel is about to ask for God to end the exile. He's about to ask God to keep his promise and be merciful and return the people to the land. But he's so captivated. It's almost as if he's saying, God, I know that you've promised to do this, but why would you? Because you are so awesome and we have been nothing but unfaithful to you. He's, he's essentially telling God, hey, listen, we deserve this. We deserve to be in Babylon. We don't deserve the promised land. We don't deserve to be in a covenant relationship with you. We deserve to be banished and exiled and sent away because it's we who have sinned and been unfaithful, not you. We deserve what we have. Um, here's what we can kind of see here. We confess sin to God, and we try to be in a regular practice of this even in our corporate gatherings. We confess sin to God because it is against God we have sinned. Okay, and there are two parts to that. We, we confess sin to God because it's against God who we're sinning against. The one that we sin against, whenever you admit to yourself, I'm a sinner, you're sinning against a great and awesome God of steadfast love and covenant faithfulness. You're sinning against a God who has been nothing but good to you and nothing but faithful to you and will forever be that way. And we confess our sin because it's we who sin. We deserve the situation that we find ourselves in. And I have to tell you, we will never cry for mercy the way that Daniel's about to cry for mercy until we realize how much we need it. Daniel's setting the stage for his, his pleas for mercy by saying, we are in desperate need of your mercy because we deserve exactly what you've given us. We deserve judgment. 
So the best way for us to depend on and walk in God's grace is to develop a habit of confessing our sin. How often do you confess your sin to God in prayer? When you do that, the more that you contrast God's righteousness with your sin, the more you will long for his saving grace. You can almost feel it coming with Daniel as he's proclaiming and extolling the greatness of the Lord. And then he's saying, we have been treacherous. We have sinned against you. He's setting the stage for this request for God to act favorably and graciously and mercifully. It it plays out in the life of the church. If you struggle to forgive those who have wronged you, here's the issue. The issue is you haven't fully appreciated how much God has forgiven you despite how much you have wronged him. If, If you care more about being right and having the right to speak your peace to someone or to say something back to someone or, or to vindicate yourself, if you care more about that than showing mercy to others in this faith family, then you need to meditate more on how much mercy you have been shown. God had every right to banish his people to exile. Every right. And anything more than that, anything better than that would be mercy from God which his people by nature do not deserve. So if you want to be a person of mercy, both crying out for mercy from God and showing mercy to others, you need to, you need to meditate on God's greatness. And, and you need to meditate on your own sin and consider just how merciful God has been to you. So, so Daniel, he contrasts God's greatness with his people's sin. And he confesses, this is what we deserve. Second part of the prayer, Daniel pleads for mercy. So he he confesses sin, but then he pleads for mercy. Look down in verse 14 of Daniel 9. So after this lengthy confession, in verse 14, we read, Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. It's just this summary statement of the Lord has judged us rightly. He has done right by by judging us through the exile. And he says, and we have not obeyed his voice. And then in verse 15, and now, and now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. As it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. He's setting the stage in verse 16. Here it comes. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. He says, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. Daniel asks for God to turn his wrath away from his people. His people deserve God's wrath. You and I deserve God's wrath because we have sinned against the holy God. 
And yet Daniel in this prayer is begging the Lord to show his people mercy and, not, and to not give them what they deserve. I don't know how often you, you meditate on the mercy that you've received from the Lord, but every ounce of good we have is mercy. Every ounce of good we have is mercy. This is God's world. This is God's world that we inhabit, that we live in. And we so often choose to live our lives however we please, as if we are masters of this universe. We so often, even as God's people, don't live as God created and called us to live. So any good that we have is a product of God's grace and goodness and mercy in us. Daniel's hope Daniel's hope in a return from exile is not only confidence in God's promises, but it is a hope in God's mercy. It is a hope that God will show mercy to his people. It's not that he is hoping that God would just give them what they deserve. Hey, listen, we've served our time over here. You know, it's about time that we get to go back to the promised land. Do like you said. No, Daniel is saying, you have promised mercy in your wisdom and in your grace. Please show it to us. The only way for Israel to be restored, for the temple to be rebuilt, and for the exile to end was for God to show mercy. He talks about the Exodus. Did you notice it? In verse 15. O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. It reminds us that the story of the people of Israel is a story of mercy. God has always kept his promises. He has always been faithful to the covenant. And he has proven time and time again, despite his people's sin, and and even through seasons of discipline and judgment, to be a God of mercy and salvation. And his people, time and time again, have proven themselves to be unfaithful. So the fact that they are still God's people is a testimony to God's long-suffering and his mercy. The story of our lives is a story of mercy. Now, like Israel, it definitely doesn't always feel that way, right? I I know some of you probably come in here and you're like, oh, that's what my life is right now, mercy from God, wonderful. Because your life may may be very painful right now. But if you actually take a step back, and you take inventory of your life up to this point, what you'll discover is that you have been more unfaithful to God than you have been faithful to him. Your loyalties and your loves, they have been more divided than they have been whole. God has called us to live a certain kind of life, and we don't live that life. So just consider, consider where you would be if God gave you exactly what you deserved. What if God hadn't intervened in your life? What if God hadn't been good to you when you were not good to him? What if he returned an eye for an eye? You see, Daniel confesses that he and his people are experiencing exactly what they deserve and their only hope of restoration is found in God not giving them what they deserve. Being merciful and being gracious so I don't know where some of you are in your, in your walk with Christ. Maybe some of you have been counting on your goodness to outweigh your badness. Maybe it's been subconscious. 
But maybe you're counting on the good things that you do to outweigh the bad things that you do. Or, or maybe, maybe you haven't fully bought in to Jesus, to Christianity, because you think that your good deeds will counter your bad deeds. What do I need Jesus for? Why, why do I need to settle on one specific kind of religion or way of thinking? It doesn't really matter because I think I'm going to be good in the end. I'm basically a pretty good person. Or maybe you've simply just grown cold to the mercy of God, and you just presume that God's going to continue to be good to you, so you're cold to it. Um, Well, apart from God's mercy, the sum of your life and the sum of my life would merit curse and shame and judgment and exile from God forever. God is too righteous. He's too righteous, and we are too sinful. Our goodness will never meet God's standard. And so our condition is one that depends on God to act with mercy if we are to have any hope of a life with God. He must act with mercy. So what we see in Daniel's prayer, he confesses the state of affairs. God is holy. We are sinful. And then he begs God. He begs God to show his people mercy and to restore them to the land that they were originally given. Well, the third part of the prayer, Daniel calls on God to listen. Daniel calls on God to listen. Starting in verse 17, Daniel prays, Now therefore, O Lord, or O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant." and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And then he says in verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see. He begs the Lord to to listen to his plea, to listen to his prayer, to open his eyes and see the suffering of his people and their repentance and to respond accordingly. What what does Daniel ask the Lord to do? And then in verse 19, we see, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He calls on the Lord to listen to his cry, and then he calls him to respond. Please, God, show mercy to your people. Please bless your people. Please forgive us of our sins. Act and don't delay. You see, prayer would be completely empty and meaningless if we did not believe that God listens and responds to our prayers. But this is what we see here. Daniel is confident that the Lord is one who listens to the prayers of his people and then responds according to his divine wisdom. So so Daniel calls on the Lord to listen and respond. And then the last part of the prayer is really interesting. How Daniel kind of anchors his requests. So, so Daniel anchors his prayer in God himself in four ways. In verse 16, 17, 18, and 19, we see in four ways how Daniel anchors his prayer. First, he anchors it in God's character. Verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. So he says, according to your righteous acts, according to your righteousness, turn away your wrath and your anger. Here's essentially what Daniel is saying is that God is steadfast in love. He is merciful to his people and he is a keeper of his promises. So Daniel is simply asking God to act in accordance with who he is. 
Respond to your people on the basis of your character. Second, we see that he anchors the prayer in God's glory. He says in verse 17, Now therefore, O O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. So why is God to respond to this prayer? For his own sake, for his name's sake, for the glory of his name. Restore your chosen people. Then he anchors it in God's mercy. Verse 18, I love this. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. He's asking the Lord, listen to our prayers and respond to our cries for mercy, not because we deserve it, because we don't. Not because we have earned an audience with you, but because you are merciful. When you approach the Lord in prayer, that's the God that you approach. A God who will listen and respond to you, not based on how good you were this past week, but based on how good he is eternally and how merciful he is eternally and how righteous he is eternally. And then the last thing we see is that Daniel anchors his prayer in in God's election of his people. Look in verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city... And your people are called by your name. God, forgive us and listen to us and act because you have called a people to yourself. And you are a God who is nothing but faithful to your people. So because your people are called by your name, please show mercy. Um, here's a question for you, though. So Daniel's prayer, he he you know, sets the stage. He says, you're holy, we're not. Um, He asks God to show mercy and forgiveness and to restore them to the land. The question is, how can God answer this prayer? How can he forgive and show mercy and at the same time remain righteous? Because you know, you see what Daniel's asking. Don't give us what we deserve. When, When you and I ask for mercy, that's what we're asking. Don't give us what we deserve. If God doesn't give you what you deserve, is he still a good judge? Is he still just? Is he still righteous? Daniel's prayer can only be answered because of Jesus. Daniel's prayer for mercy can only be answered because of Jesus. We see God's mercy and God's justice at the cross. Because as Jesus dies, he takes our sin, he takes our shame, he takes our curse, he takes our banishment, And he takes our judgment away from us so that we don't have to bear it anymore. So within that statement, what we see is that Jesus satisfies God's justice through his death. Jesus is judged. God is righteous. He judges sin. He judges sin in his son. And because Jesus bears the judgment and the penalty for sin that we deserve, he can show us mercy. And he does through our faith in Jesus. To wrap it up, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray. I don't know how you answered the questions at the very beginning, but because of the God to whom we pray, I want to encourage you to pray. Here are four reasons why you should pray, okay? First, pray because God speaks. Did you notice that at the beginning? That Daniel, after reading the word of the Lord, 
After, after hearing the Lord's voice, he sought the Lord's face. Seek God in prayer because he is findable. Okay? Seek him in prayer because he is findable. God isn't hidden. He reveals himself, especially and most clearly through his word. And notice that as Daniel goes to pray, he's not searching for answers. Verse 3 then I turned my face to the Lord God, it doesn't say, and asked him, hey, when's the specific date? When's this going to happen? It says that he turned his face to the Lord and sought God, seeking him by prayer. Daniel was seeking God through prayer. So pray to be with God. Pray to commune with God. Okay, so pray because God speaks. Second, pray because of who God is. When we seek God in prayer, we find a God of righteousness and mercy. We find a God who is both just and the justifier. We find a great and awesome God, one who we are completely unworthy to be talking to, who invites us in to commune with him because of what he's done through Jesus. So pray because of who God is, his character. Third, pray because of who you are. And you can think about that in two ways. So first, here's who you are. You are a rebel against God. You are a rebel against God because we continue to sin against him. So come to God and confess your sin and do that through prayer. But you also need to remember that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And when you address God, Jesus taught us to pray and address him as our father. So because you are a child of God, when you confess your sin, you will be met with nothing but mercy and forgiveness mercy and forgiveness time and time again so run to the lord in prayer seek his face because of who you are you are a sinner in need of grace but you are also a child of god and then finally pray because god listens when we pray with with our our boys every night that's that's one thing that we we try to be consistent in reminding them because you know they're they're toddlers and they can't see god right and so they, they don't, it's, it's difficult for them to understand. They're talking to someone they can't see. And so we remind them frequently, God, you hear our prayers. We'll, we'll start a prayer and we'll say that, God, we know that you hear us. And so it's been really sweet recently to hear our boys as they'll pray on their own. That's what they pray. That's what they pray. God, you, you hear us. Do you need that reminder this morning? Your prayers aren't empty. Your prayers aren't wasted. When you pray to God, the creator of the universe hears you. It was, it was interesting the other night as we were praying, uh, Jude and Jack like to compete. It's awesome, right? A lot of humility. Um, but they like to com- compete into to who will pray first and who will pray loudest and all this, all this stuff. Um, and so Jude was praying and Jack interrupts him, and he starts praying. So they're praying at the same time, you know. And Jude gets so frustrated. He gets so frustrated, not just because he's overhearing, but he says, God can't hear me. God, God can't hear both of us, you know, because we're both talking at the same time. He can't hear both of us. And we were like, we, were like, we almost had a speaking in tongues session. We can all pray at the same time, you know. The Lord can hear all of our prayers. But it, it, it is a healthy reminder to us. God hears your prayers and he hears my prayers and he hears your prayers all the time. And he listens and he responds accordingly. Maybe not 
Maybe not exactly how you want him to all the time, but God hears and responds to your prayers on the basis of his righteousness, on the basis of his glory, on the basis of your calling as his people, and on the basis of his mercy. We pray to a God who listens to our prayers. So I want to encourage you to pray to pray with confidence in God's word, with confidence in God's promises, and with confidence in God's steadfast love for you. He will continue to be faithful, and he will continue to show mercy to you. So keep seeking it for yourself and for our city. Let's, let's pray together.